Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke from BurkeReviews.com, and joining me, the Kingsman to my statesman, uh, my transatlantic partner, Matt Hudson from WhatIWatchTonight.co.uk. Matt, how you doing, sir? Hey, John, I'm good, man. I've had my first haircut, a proper haircut, in about six months because of the COVID malarkey. Oh, um, five months. I've had the, the boss lady at home, the Sith Lord here, has been doing it, but um, the... As the hairdresser said, he had to do a bit of surgery to reconstruct my hair afterwards. So I feel a million dollars to actually have a fine looking mane. And yeah, man, I'm enjoying it. I've got I'm um, I've got a lemonade tonight. I'm not as hard hitting as I was ten, fifteen years ago. I've got a lemonade to see me through tonight's show. But yeah, all good here, man. How about yourself? Doing pretty well. I, I shave my head at least twice a week, so not an issue. Thanks. Uh, Thanks. Of being bald, but uh you know. <laughs> Um, and I have a cold brew coffee, uh, from a concentrate that's quite tasty. I enjoy, um, very much. It's, it's much earlier where I am recording than where Matt is. So (laughs) I still have one at this time. Yeah. I would still probably drink this too, but that's the problem. Um, I try not to drink as much caffeine and cold brew. That's if you buy it, it's all caffeinated. Um, I do have a cold brew pitcher that I do decaf cold brew when I'm feeling, like I need a, a cold beverage, but you got to plan ahead because it takes like 24 hours to cold brew coffee. So mm-hmm. it's not always readily available. So I drink a lot of hot coffee, but decaf when I do that. But, coffee, know, coffee. Coffee is coffee. And we are here this week uh, to review the Netflix original documentary, Mucho Mucho Amor, The Legend of Walter Mercado. Um, we're going to get into that momentarily, and then we'll talk about a few other things, some headlines, what we've been consuming in the media, um, how we are staying bloody awesome, and uh, before we leave you this day, um, Matt, uh, we haven't done a documentary before, I don't think. Uh, no, I was saying off air yesterday via message. Like, it's going to be interesting to do a documentary because you can. It's a it's a different structure and a foundation to a to a film, like obviously critiquing or discussing a documentary. So yeah, it's, this is the first for the BAMP. So listeners, you are. You are joining us on this first ever documentary journey. Now, I want, before we get into our thoughts on the film, um, maybe set up a little with with our knowledge of Walter Mercado uh, Mm -hmm. before watching it. Um, I knew nothing, um, apparently. Uh, I I do recall, once you get into the documentary, there's some conversations about like the Psychic Friends Network, which I remember as a kid, those commercials, I didn't partake Mm -hmm. in the service because I was a child. Um, (laughs) But... Um, I, I kind of like argued for this movie because, um, big tuna friend of the show had recommended that I watch it. And, um, a friend of mine and a former, uh, I don't know how to like acquaintance Alejandro Montoya Marin, who is a filmmaker. Um, check out his film Monday on all streaming services and hopefully soon, um, his, uh, millennium book bugs uh will be available too but um he also uh, he had posted on twitter how much he loved this movie so i i was i had you know two people who i i trust their uh film selection quite frequently um had recommended it and it so i was like all right it's worth watching let's check it out um what did, did you know anything about walter mercado before 
other than the name, I'd heard the name Walter Mercado, Walter Mercado, but uh, I knew nothing about the man in the United. During the docu, it says you know that he came to the UK. If you know he did shows and he was well known over here, but obviously that was before my time for the most part. But I'd heard it of him, so watching this documentary was it was an eye opener. Yeah, um, as uh, I think that's kind of a good lead into uh, talking about it, right? Like so. Um, I, the only thing I knew about the the film itself, um, I knew like, again, nothing about Walter Mercado. I didn't know why mm-hmm. we were getting a documentary right now. You know, I didn't know if something, something had just happened or whatever. So I, I knew nothing. So it was, it was one of those cool opportunities where you watch a doc and you have little expectation of what you're going to get because Absolutely. I didn't know anything. Right. Um, and, uh, Do you I, go spoiler free in a documentary. I, I go spoiler free most situations. Yeah. Um, the only thing I knew about this, and I, it was still not about this. It was uh, it kind of guided my expectations a little because um, Sean and or Big Tuna uh, said that this was the uh, "Won't You Be My Neighbor" for Telemundo, I think, um, instead of PBS. You know, like mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers yeah. is to PBS, Walter Mercado was to Telemundo. I think is the right. Maybe I'm saying the wrong network. I think it's the right thing. Um, and so that gave me a little bit of like, okay, so this guy's going to be like a really big positive influence. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's not stylistically the same as once you be my neighbor, uh, because, uh, Walter Mercado is in the documentary. Like he is, uh, involved in the filmmaking process, uh, not the process so much, but he is being interviewed by the camera crew and stuff like yeah. that. So he is, uh, the big difference. Once you be my neighbor is made what, like 12 years after Mr. Rogers died, 15 years after Mr. Rogers died. Yeah, decade. Um, it's a good decade. Yeah. So uh, that's a major difference right away as far as style goes. But as far as content, I do see that similarity. There's definitely a lot of, um, you know, like, I feel like we are mostly praising him and what he's done uh, as far as being a positive influence. Um, What surprised me, uh, even which I learned before watching the film, um, because I guess where I did have a little bit of a spoiler was the uh, synopsis. Um, So I... I'm forgetting because this is a documentary. It feels different. I'm not thinking about the directors and stuff. <laughs> uh, the director, Christina, Cus- uh, oh boy, Castatini and Kareem Tapsh. Well done. Nice one. You think so? Okay, good. Um, I was like, maybe he'll correct me. Uh, Walter Mercado is obviously in it. Uh, Willie Acosta, who is uh, his assistant. Um, the big kind of, it's early in the film, which I think is important. That's the only reason I'm going to say this name. Cause otherwise I feel like it's a, maybe the impact that this person will have, but Lin-Manuel Miranda is one of the talking heads um, because of the influence. Uh, Raul uh, de Molina. Um, and there, I always forget the actor's name, but I like him. He was in Overboat. Uh, uh, Eugenio Derbez um, mm-hmm. is uh, a talking head in this as well. And um, even uh, on his sketch TV series did a Walter Mercado impression, which I thought was um, kind of an interesting like take on it. Um, but the synopsis reads every day for decades, Walter Mercado, the iconic gender nonconforming astrologer mesmerized 120 million Latino viewers with his extravagance and positivity. But again, I mentioned the psychic friends network. So there is that, like, I think it's on letterbox where it refers to it as a psychic as well, um, to Walter. And, uh, that is a big difference because I don't know where you fall in your astrology and, um, uh, psychic beliefs mm-hmm. i tend to not believe in psychic ability um and at this time 
if you are a psychic, uh, where were you on COVID? That's my question. Right? <laughs> little heads up would have been nice, you know? Uh, but nonetheless, um, I, I tend to not believe in that. And uh, astrology, I believe in movie astrology. Absolutely. Um, this is an excellent podcast I've heard uh, with some guy who does something similar. Um, you know, in a cape. Yeah, I do wear a cape, but no one ever sees it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, so that is very different from Mr. Rogers. Like the positivity Mr. Rogers gave was, I think, more practical advice um, where Walters is the it's it is, a, you know, it's when we say astrology here, he would read all 12 of the the signs you know capricorn yep. leo etc i am a leo i do know that i'm a scorpio um, i would say i i often tend to to be similar to the description of a leo but i also know that that's it's written in a way that's general enough that you're supposed to say oh well that's like me so and we often <laughs> ignore those that are not like us right like we ignore the parts that don't fit our personality and we only attach that's what i've i've read uh, psychologists say about our belief in astrology yep. and also that the stars we were actually born under had shifted and we've never changed that in those, in those signs. So like, that's another thing you probably weren't actually born as a Scorpio or a Leo for my case and so on, whatever. So not to debunk that. Cause I, I don't know. I do. I feel like he maybe believes what he's saying, mm -hmm. but at the same time, um, all of his um, horoscopes uh, were positive. And so yeah. they inspired people and there was a definite positivity and you can see the impact he had on many people's lives. Um, and uh, because um, it, it refers to him in that synopsis as gender nonconforming astrologer, um, he he presented himself as very asexual throughout the documentary too, where like he never discussed gender or his sexuality. Um, the I believe the filmmaker even once asked if he's a virgin, um, <laughs> and he won't he won't even like acknowledge the question. So it's not that he answers or doesn't answer. He's he's literally just like I don't hear that, and. Um, that uh he was an icon for that um not again he never says he's gay or not um but you know just his his presentation his demeanor um there's interviews with other people um from the lbgtq plus community who are take uh great pride in what walter did um being on tv for a long time um his his you know uh, length of television is insane when you really look at it and um i think the documentary is structured very well i think there's some um compelling interesting conflict that is in the narrative of the documentary um that i don't i don't know i feel like that could be a spoiler since we usually do these spoiler free although it's a documentary so i don't know how much we consider spoilers for a documentary i guess because it's about a living person i guess if you're in the same boat as jb and i who didn't know anything about walter mercado then i guess you know when, when things could be considered spoilers as we get into the documentary, but um, yeah, I think, oh yeah, I think as long as you don't mention really what, what the outcome of it, and I suppose it's, it's right. And I'm, I'm going to leave the conflict out too. Cause I, I didn't see it coming that way, but they interview, you know, everyone you would expect to interview his, he has family, but it's, it's all nieces, uh, several, so many nieces. Oh yeah. Dude has a lot of nieces. Um, his, his assistant and I guess roommate Willie, um, who's been with him forever. Uh, they interview him a lot. Willie's very interesting. Um, uh, we see him going through about his day. You know, he's he's older now, and he's you know he's got some struggles, and uh, he's still um, the the style of clothing appears to have not changed at all. Uh, he's still very flamboyant, giant capes, or uh, 
they're not all capes, but a lot of them are capes. And then I don't know what to call the other things. They're like cloak, like no idea, like it's a big flamboyant, like poofy gown. Right. Um. You know, it, they're all really interesting. Uh, his it, and that was how he was presented on TV. Um. You, but you get like you kind of get a, a life story, but you also it, it heavily focuses on um his time on TV and what his role was there and how people just adored him and um you get a lot of talking head interviews about you know people watching and i was really surprised because i could see like an astrology thing like as like a five minute thing on the news but like he had like an hour-long show where it was just him basically reading through the astrology thing and you're like wow that's that's crazy like i I can't imagine sitting through that especially like in a modern era where you can google your your symbol and have like a bajillion horoscopes probably in 10 seconds you know every day to like have to wait through an hour to hear yours like oh god i'm the last one every week you know they like, even said they rather than having the weather um report some one particular station would have the astrology report and they would have walter giving the uh, a quick um recap of the astro- astrology simply the uh, horoscope sorry rather than giving the actual weather so that's a fairly big deal too yeah like yeah it- you know, you can look outside and see if it's raining or not, but are you going to meet the one you love tomorrow? Yeah. That's when you find happiness today. Yeah. Th- that's the important question. Um, I-, I enjoyed the documentary though. I found his story to be very compelling. Um, I thought a lot of the talking head interviews were really well done. Um, it's, it, it definitely reminds me, uh, tonally of won't you be my neighbor. There's definitely an out um, you know, the, the filmmakers clearly adore the subject and, uh, it's presented in that way. I don't think it's presented where you like you're walking away debating whether or not this is a good man or not. You walk away very much um, confirming that yes, this is a this is a an excellent man who was a good influence on on culture through television, and we should know who he is. Um, that's how I felt. What did you think about the doc? Yeah, I thought it was okay. I didn't mind it. It was a uh, it was different. I wasn't again not knowing an awful lot about Walter other than the name and subsequently the synopsis for this. Uh, when when the synopsis mentioned uh, it's, it's something which we didn't mention, but there's something else that the Netflix synopsis um, mentions. I was like, oh, this is going to be like a mystery. turns out I misread it. And um, But I thought it was all right. Like I say, it's pretty decent. Like I said, it's, it's clear that Walter was a very well-loved man, extremely well-loved in the Latin community, but also worldwide. He was a positive influence. And again, we've said before, God knows we could do with some more of those right now. And he says it many times. He only wants to do right by by people. He wants to do what's best for people. So when you mention things like phone lines and other uh, twists that come later on, twists and turns, it, through it, he's very much said, you know, people have corroborated by saying he just wants to do best by people. He's not there to be a clairvoyant and be there to um you know rip people off or scam people or feed people lies for profit or for ego uh no there may have been some ego involved just by if i looking at the, the legend but um he seemed like a genuine guy and obviously like you mentioned he gave hope to many people especially the lgbtq plus community in a time where that wasn't the norm you know i mean the 60s the 70s the 80s even the 90s it wasn't the done thing to come out as gay or or anything in your in your other than heterosexual in your career because you it, it would sink you and I believe they mentioned that as well yeah. and he when he talks about his sexuality he does it in such a 
artistic way. You know, he's, he's he, the way he, he his sexuality is with the wind, the flowers. He has sex with life, with beauty. You know, it's not here to talk about himself and whether he's a virgin, though. He does give a very fun answer to that. And I like how it started. It was chronological to a point as well, when it had some lovely animated segments in it, getting to see how the man himself has changed with age, but at the same time hasn't. You can still tell that the the man in his late 80s is still very much the same as a guy who was, what, 50 years prior to that in the in the 60s and the 70s and that. So that was interesting to see how he came about. But I loved the reaction of other people to to seeing Walter on TV uh, and to speaking with him and to potentially having a chance to meet him. It's how other people responded, I found to be one of the most enlightening things, like heartwarming things, because it's it's one thing to have somebody say, you know, people love me. I always try to do my best. But to see other people respond with like, a, a, a ridiculous amounts of love and adoration was, was incredible to see. So it's, it was clear how much this guy touched people's hearts. And I thought it was good. You know what I mean? I, I, I liked it. I was in, interested the whole way through. There was, it started a bit slowly for me, but there were bits that happened and sort of segments and then uh, moments of his life, which sort of changed the tone a bit. And suddenly you're like, oh, well, again, not knowing the story of Walter, you're like, where's this going to go? This came out of nowhere. Oh, Christ, I hope everything's going to be okay. Um, uh, leading up to the conclusion of the documentary, but I, don't, I thought it was—I thought it was pretty good. I thought, like I said, Willie seemed very nice. He seemed like a nice guy. His right-hand man, his his buddy for life. You know, bad boys for life. And seeing all the other talking heads, like you mentioned, some like the family members, others who are better known in the public eye, but all having that same sort of love for this man and the way they spoke seemed so genuine is from the heart and. It's it's a credit to the man himself that he has firstly had this commissioned and that he was able to be in it and create this legacy, which didn't at all feel indulgent. Anything like this can sometimes feel a bit indulgent or, you know, backslapping or kind of like your, your epitaph almost. But I thought it was a very good uh, way of introducing people, even at this yeah. late stage of his career, introducing people like me, like yourself, to the, to what he's done, to the impact on culture that this man had. And God damn, if I could pull off some of the clothes that he did, like this big bright <laughs> blue gown, I was just like, wow. And I don't know, man, like you mentioned, to to get away with that image and to be asexual in a time when it just you just couldn't do that yeah. is incredible. It, and it's you know it's a massive hat tip to the to the man himself, but also it's, to it's those like he sorry, go on. like. Seems like he transcended um, hatred, almost. Yeah, you know? that's what I mean. It's to even to, to those who who were watching because the human humanity is a mixed bunch of people. There were there would have been people then as there are now who would look down on um, anything that wasn't white and straight. So for this man to just basically bowl in and be like to read astrology, I mean to to read horoscopes and and psychic um, things of a psychic nature. And just grip and captivate a, a seemingly a whole culture, whole continents, a whole world, the universe is a is a testament to his power. Now his his compelling, his engagement. So yeah, for somebody who knew nothing about uh, Walter Mercado, I thought this was a very decent documentary. I agree with you in terms of how it's stylistically similar to Won't You Be My Neighbor in terms of how it uh, how it's presented, but of course 
um, the two documentaries, when you watch them, there are many differences. I think I obviously I preferred when you be my neighbor. It hit me harder, but yeah, me too. I, I did enjoy this man. It was it was interesting to do for the BAMP, you know, going in to do a documentary, which is something we hadn't done before, but more importantly, a documentary about a, a subject or a subject matter or person who we both had no, no real knowledge of. It'd be different if we, but if we went on, we're like, Oh, we're going to do a documentary tonight. Was it about, I don't know, Martin Scorsese or David Fincher or something like that. Cause you, you go in with a baggage and with expectation with this, I had none. Do you know what I mean? I had none. I was waiting for the story to be told to me and see how it affected me. And, I enjoyed it. So it's it's out there on Netflix. It's a Netflix original, guys. Go check it out and find out about uh, about a man who touched millions and millions and millions of people around, around the world in a way, like JB said, in the most strangest way. I say a gender non-conforming astrologer managed to captivate the, the people every day. An astrologer. For one, you know, what I mean, you, you sometimes you get these fly by night astrologers or psychics or clairvoyants who, you know, they have famous for 15 minutes and then they're gone. Walter Mercado went on for decades and decades and decades, and like you say, transcended many barriers. So it's an absolutely mm-hmm. interesting watch, and it's on Netflix. So if you want a bit of a shot of positivity, I say check it out. And I would say, uh, just to conclude my thoughts, um, that I think the filmmakers were very successful because like you said, we were not uh, fans ahead of time, but I would say I'm a fan of his now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to go back and watch like his back catalog of all of his astrology stuff, but I do think I appreciate what he, what he represents and what he means. And um, I mentioned Lin-Manuel Miranda and that is my favorite moment in the film for sure. Um, without saying what it is without spoiling it for those watching, but um, I have become a big Lin- Lin-Manuel Miranda fan uh, I actually saw him in Mary Poppins first, mm-hmm. uh, Mary Poppins Return. Um, and I was also a big fan of the Moana soundtrack, which he had his hands in on writing some of the songs. And I have listened to that so many times and just recently watched Hamilton. Um, and so I'm a big, big fan of his. So hearing him uh, talk about Walter Mercado was big for me to like help me connect, you know, because I'm a fan of Miranda's. And if Miranda's a fan of Mercado, then I am kind of by proxy a fan of Mercado, you know, mm-hmm. so um, those those really to me that stood out and it's uh, you know an important part of um, the process and uh, to kind of conclude the documentary side of this um, two years ago I think was uh, I think it was 2018 right when uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor came out yeah yeah 2018 was a really great year for documentaries there was a bunch of good was this free solo that was that year um, three identical strangers was that year and there's like two or three other ones that aren't going to come to my head right now um, and Big Tuna has theorized that this year might be that again, where we have this really great year for documentaries. Um, I have not seen most of the ones on his list, but I'm just going to name drop a couple because I have seen one. Mm-hmm. And I it's one of my favorite movies of the year right now. Um, but uh, Boy State, he recommends on the record, which is an HBO Max original. Um, Jasper Mall, which is uh, available to rent VOD. Um, you cannot kill David Arquette, which I'm going to be trying to watch because uh, he's a professional wrestler now. I don't know if you WCW knew that about him. Champion at one point. Um, WCW back in the day, but he's all indie, like hardcore wrestling now. Like he's, <laughs> um, it's crazy, but uh, he's like full into mm. wrestling. Um, the documentary is supposed to be pretty good, though, from what I've heard uh, from Big Tuna. Um, that one is not out yet, but is available for for critics through screeners, um, which I'm hoping to see very soon. Um, the Painter and the Thief is on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Disclosure is Netflix. And then Sean lists this one on that list. 
Um, but Donut King, I saw at mm-hmm. a film festival that I wish I could remember. It is such a great documentary. It is so well made. It is so like it does make you excessively want donuts. Like you will need to have a box of donuts nearby. They will not be good enough because the donuts in the movie are going to blow your mind. But you know my thoughts about donuts, man. Yeah, dude. Well, (laughs) I learned so much about this particular company, and um, (laughs) it's such a cool documentary. So if you haven't, if you can find a way to watch Donut King, I don't know when it's coming out. It did get distribution. I don't remember who snagged it though, so I don't remember um, when it will be getting actual distribution. But someone did pick it up, which was great because I again I saw it on an online festival. Um, and I wasn't sure if we were going to like it, you know, the thing with festivals is you might see some amazing movie and nobody thinks it'll ha- play with, uh, for finances. Mm-hmm. So it won't get distribution. And then it takes maybe two or three years before anyone else ever gets to see it. And I'm, uh, I'm hoping Donut King will actually make it out before the end of the year. Uh, so people can check it out. Um, but, uh, just, you know, some other documentaries and Netflix. This one of the beauties of the streaming services. There are tons of good docs on Netflix. There are bad ones, but there are tons of good docs out there. And it's something that um, before streaming services were readily available, getting good documentaries were, was not easy because yeah, they yeah. rarely get big theatrical releases um, unless you live in one of the, the big cities. You know, like London probably gets some good docs, mm-hmm. New York, Boston, Chicago or even Orlando we have a couple of theaters that will do docs but you will rarely see them at a multiplex unless it's either a uh, you know Disney wildlife doc or um, just it's just doing so well like a Michael Moore doc will probably get a little bit of big runs now um, depending on the the, the content but um, Netflix and uh, Hulu and Prime they give us an opportunity to see a lot more documentaries and HBO as well HBO stocks have always been pretty critically acclaimed so um, if you haven't checked this one out yet, uh, do it's it's definitely worth your time, and it's short; it's only ninety six minutes, yeah. and it moves pretty quick. Yeah, I I love a documentary, but I will admit I I don't watch enough of them. And yeah, since streaming's really boomed into being something which wasn't just Netflix sending out DVDs each any return at the end of the month, now that streaming is here to stay in a big way, the documentary industry is you know the genre sorry is boomed, and I I. I hearing those lists from big tuna and again and whatever big tuna recommends i'm always up for so uh, guys out there take that as a decent recommendations but i'll check some of those out uh, because i don't watch enough i don't watch enough of anything other than film yeah. so um yeah nice one big tuna yeah. and yeah check out mucho mucho more i think you uh i think you guys will enjoy it and just recently uh the the movie club podcast i do with my uh my partner cory um we uh did documentaries i think two months ago um so if you want if you're interested in what and they're all from streaming services because that's what we have available right now so um but we we watched a couple of new ones a couple older ones um so if you're if you're like i want to watch more documentaries i don't know where to start check out movie club listen to those four episodes you can watch along with us and uh hear our thoughts there um and hopefully one of my seniors um uh she is planning on pursuing documentary filmmaking as a as her career path so Hopefully she stays on that path and uh, she loves journalism. She loves filmmaking and wants to utilize that, that, you know, together as a documentary, a documentarian. So hoping to see what she gets to do um, in time. Sweet. Just check out movie club anyway, guys. It's a good show. Check it out. Um, yeah. Nice one. Um, yeah. That's me on Mutro Mutro more. I'm going to give it the thumbs up. If you're going to ask me to do a rudimentary rating, yes or no. Yeah, man, go check it out guys.
thumbs up for me as well. And we will move into our next segment where we talk about the chuffed headlines for the week. Um, Matt, why don't you start us off? What do you have uh, for headlines? It feels like yours is a little more weighty even. Yeah, I thought it was uh, I thought it's something we had to mention. It's the big movie uh, news that dropped uh, yesterday in terms of recording this. Today is Tuesday. This drops on Monday. And it's the uh, news that Tenet is, has now been delayed indefinitely. All that means is um, we haven't got a release date. It's not hasn't been cancelled or postponed indefinitely. It just simply means they are going to release it in 2020. We just don't know when. Tenet was supposed to be the movie, obviously, to bring us all out of the, the, the COVID-19 doldrums. Christopher Nolan was going to be our saviour. He was going to be the hero at the end in, in his cape. So it was originally meant to be um, released a few days ago, July the 17th, then July the 31st, then August the 12th, and now, who knows? Uh, and... There's not going to be any digital release, which makes sense because the studio would just be hemorrhaging money if they put it on the digi- on digital. Yeah, you'd probably get a few quid on on a few bucks on streaming service subscriptions, but how much money could Tenet make at the theatre? Realistically, anything between seven hundred million to a billion potentially. And as with my next point, there's another issue: the studio may release it internationally first because they need to yeah. recoup some money back. So Asia may get it. The United Kingdom, there's nothing to stop us getting it. We have theatres open. We're ready for it. But the problem is, by doing that, is the piracy issue. You know, people in the United States, yeah. there are always going to be people who think, you know what, if, if those guys get it and it's available in English, I'm going to watch it. I don't, I don't want to wait until November, December, potentially 2021 to watch it. Are they then going to go and see it when it comes out? I mean, a, a good chunk aren't going to do it. So... It's a, you know, what do you do? Because, like I say, they're not going to put it on digital, and you shouldn't do because this, everything I've seen of Tenet, plus it being a Nolan flick, it screams it has to be seen on the bigger screen with the best sound, not like that Quibo app thing the other week. Um, this has to be seen in theatres. It's going to make big bucks. It needs to make about seven hundred million apparently to break even, which is wild. So putting it on digital. Any film which was put on the digital, you're losing money. No, no streaming service is going to make money by subscriptions, not even with the Snyder Cut or anything like that. Internationally, it's, for me, not because I'm based in the UK and I want to watch it, but they've got to release it internationally, I think, if they want to make money on it. Or they could keep it till next year. But it's just going to be on the shelf, isn't it? It's always going to be on the shelf. And the studio are going to look at it, Warner, and be like, it's there. If we release it in all the other territories, we're gonna we're gonna make at least four, three, four, five hundred million maybe on this. So we're gonna recoup some of our money, and then kind of hope that when it's released in the United States and Canada, that people are gonna go back to watch it properly, and it will make another maybe that same amount back again. So I don't know. For me, the only option if if they're not gonna uh, push it back to twenty twenty one, the only option is releasing every available territory and. You know, the piracy is always going to be an issue for, you know, it, it's not a good thing. But even if it's released in, in, on, everywhere in the world on the same day, people are still going to pirate it, which is a sad thing. So for me, yeah, don't put it out digital, digitally. If you're not going to put it to 2021, you've got to do it internationally. But as, as somebody who's obviously in the frying pan and the fire over there in the United States, what do you think about this? What what do you think about it being released internationally? Uh, or should it be pushed back to 2021? 
Well, it's funny because I, I, my brain is so disconnected from pirating movies mm-hmm. that like my, my fear with it being released internationally first was spoilers on Twitter. Yeah. I was like, um, because Tenet, uh, definitely has the Christopher Nolan kind of vibe to it where it's going to be like, there's going to be a twist. Um, that's not his MO mind you like, but this has the inception, uh, prestige type vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, no, there's going to be something I don't want to know about Tenet, and I don't want it to be spoiled on a, by a tweet from someone who saw it overseas. Um, that was my initial concern. Um, I know Nolan. Nolan is a director I am a big fan of. I have studied him excessively. I've listened to all the Blank Check podcast episodes yeah. about Christopher Nolan's films. Um, I've seen all of them at least twice. I've taught Inception, Interstellar, nice. Dark Knight, and... I want to teach prestige, but I haven't, um, Such a but I love movie. that movie. Uh, right. And I've, uh, I've taught memento. Um, so I've, I've taught several <laughs> Nolan films and, um, so I am, I'm a big proponent of him as a filmmaker. I know that's, that's controversial. Some critics dislike him because he does make popcorn movies, but he makes intelligent popcorn movies mm-hmm. that are accessible to your general audience, which is something that a lot of filmmakers can't, he, he, he walks a tightrope that is really, really hard to do. Yeah, look at Interstellar. Um, it's, as as much as possible, factually or scientifically accurate, as much as possible. There are liberties for, for cinematic reasons, but at the same yeah. time, it is packaged like you say as, as a popcorn flick. Right, right, and yet it's so it's it's very complex, and it deals with topics that your general person would never have thought mm-hmm. about, with like quantum physics and stuff. Um, but um, I the thing you everyone should know about Nolan at this point is that he wants his movies on a big screen. Yep. And while other filmmakers, I think, would be fine with their movies going to streaming, and I think some should. I think at this point, it's getting to be where, like, you have these movies just sitting. You could make money because I will pay money to rent your movie. New Mutants. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> God, that movie was delayed. How many – before the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably the reason the pandemic exists. Yeah. But um, but Nolan's movie is meant to be on the big yeah. screen. And I, I am not petty enough. I will say – that America has proven our entitlement with the fact that we won't wear masks. Um, <laughs> uh, more or at least that people are complaining about having to wear a mask. Um, so they, there will be complaints if it's released overseas ahead of time. And I do expect the piracy thing to be a real issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, um, I think that it, it's unreasonable to expect Warner to wait for America to get back to where we can open theaters because it doesn't look like we're trying very hard so no. far. And while we're recording this before my, our president is about to speak finally mm-hmm. about the coronavirus again, um, we don't know what's going to be said. Obviously, when we're talking right now, there's a chance that he's going to shut down things again. I don't think so. But the, yeah, it could be what happens. Maybe he surprises everybody. <laughs> but um, I would not I would not fault Warner Brothers or uh, Nolan for releasing it internationally first. And in fact, I think that's probably the best strategy. If If we had been better, and we were not spiking incessantly, um, incessantly. Uh, then maybe we could have it, but we don't get nice things because we couldn't freaking wear a mask. What about those surgeons things? who wear masks for like eight hours, eight hours whilst doing surgery? They get on quite well. Yeah. It's going to make fifty percent of his money overseas. Yeah. Like most films, it's generally for these big. Generally, it's a fifty-fifty yeah. or just you know uh, percentage here, here or there. It's going to still going to make buck bank dollars quid if it's released, but. There is that spoiler thing, and it is one of the most anticipated films of the year from a director whose films are event films now. There's that side of it as well, but 
oh, I can still see Warner basically saying, no, we're going to wait. We are going to wait until we can open in North America because we want to get as much of the pie as possible. I've got a feeling they're going to wait. One reason, one reason I think they might wait um, too is if you look back at like World War II um, and what happened to like the German studios and um, even like the Russia film studios um, that were mm-hmm. both really big before World War II and then both kind of shut down afterwards and Hollywood became the centerpiece. It was already the centerpiece of most film, but there were spikes in Germany and there was talk for a little while that Germany could become like a centerpiece mm-hmm. of the film industry only to have fascism destroy it. Well, <laughs> um, right now I, I, we're at a weird precipice because not only are we not able to open our theaters back, but I think a lot of productions are going to end up being shut down here in the States. And what I think you're going to see is a shift to maybe New Zealand, which was already getting a lot of the industry um, yeah. filming there. Uh, obviously, parts of London were for where Game of Thrones and stuff was being filmed. There's there's yeah. stuff happening there. I think this if there's ever going to be a, a chance for the epicenter of the film world to shift, it's going to be during this pandemic, especially if America can't get its crap together because the rest of the world is moving on and we're still struggling to get going. Um, they're going to want entertainment, so that just means that. You know, Hollywood, who wants to make money, they're going to try to do everything they can to shift. Now, granted, we are currently banned from traveling to most of those countries, um, but I'm sure there's some kind of loophole that Hollywood, you know, mogul could to could make us get there, um, become like temporary residents or something. But, with stuff with um, bills. Right. I, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see um, some of those areas that were already being utilized for film, if we see their uh, their film world start to, to become more prevalent, even if it's just simply because like the New Zealand film industry can mm-hmm. make movies right now and we can't. So we get and you already have Taika being a, a name, a household name now here in the States. You you get Taika to produce a few movies, slap his name on a couple of Taika Watiti presents like we've seen with Tarantino, like we've seen yeah. now with Jordan Peele. Um people will watch them even if they're from another country, which again, America, we're a little entitled. A lot of Americans shy away from quote unquote foreign films, even <laughs> if they're in English. Um, so, you know, uh, it's possible we might see that shift. I haven't heard anyone talking about that, but I it, w- just this discussion about them opening tenant internationally, it popped in my head. Like, what if we see this shift where Hollywood is no longer the epicenter of the film industry? What if we see it change because of the pandemic? And if it's going to happen, be healthy to have that, I just thought of another massive, massive component which could play into this. We're not we're forgetting one thing is the theatres. Over here in the UK, Odeon, Cineworld, uh, and internationally, all the other big chains, they're going to want this film in their cinema because they're going to want, they need to start making money. They need, I mean, as we've seen with what's yeah, happening with AMC and potentially Regal as well, you know, they are, they're again, we mentioned hemorrhaging money. They've got none. They're this close to going out of business. Well, you know the chain. I know some of the chains seem to have like they're owned. They all own each other by the sounds of it. But you know, we we've got cinemas open here, as as do other countries, the Australia, New Zealand, Asia, and the rest of parts of Europe. We've got cinemas waiting to be filled. We've got you know they need to make money. They need to get these films in their cinemas to to save themselves to save their uh, theaters. So if the theater church chains start putting pressure on Warner to say, look, well, hold on, we're open. We need, we, you, you need us to show your film. We also need you to keep our revenue um, streams coming in. What's the hold up? And we've seen in, yeah. uh, especially with AMC and universal, there's been a, a tit for tat about that with stream films going to streaming. The Hollywood cannot, or the studio system cannot 
in any way have the, the theatres going against them. They cannot have the theatres saying, well, look, you know, Tenet's there. We want it. You're not going to give it to us now. We ain't going to play it next year when you want it to. We'll just, do you know what I mean? We're going to, we're going to bust that. And I know that sounds extremely hypothetical and exaggerative, yeah. but do you know what I mean? if, if they suffer financial problems, they, they, they might think that. Right. And we saw the universal um, AMC kickback yeah. over trolls world tour. So yeah, it's already, there's already a little bit of a precedent for that kind of uh power move. So, I don't think you're far off from if if they keep holding it, if they'll just be like, well, you know what? Fine. We won't play any of your other movies either, because that's the thing. Theaters that are reopening right now, we're planning on doing um, retro screenings because there's no new movies to show. Um, So maybe they would say, well, we won't play any Warner Brothers films at our theaters, which, you know, would be not the like you'd miss some things. But, you know, it's not the biggest. uh, They have good movies. Don't get me wrong. But there's definitely, you know. A lot of like the big, I think the movies that were being like tossed around were mostly uh, Universal yeah. Pictures, um, a lot of old Spielberg and stuff like that. But, um, or, but yeah, it's uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see. Um, what That's ten it? Yeah, ten knots coming out soon. So, my uh, first headline that I want to talk about is because of our Netflix thing. Um, did you hear the announcement about uh, the Chris Evans and who's the other? It's Evan Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling doing uh, yeah. the new Russo Brothers film, Gray Man. Um, yes, I saw that. Now, the the aside from the fact that we're getting the Russos uh, back with Chris Evans, and then we're putting Ryan Gosling with Chris Evans, which is pretty cool. Um, pretty handsome. And this is uh, the Gray Man is supposed to be their attempt at building a James Bond level franchise like that's their goal mm-hmm. is that this is going to become a series of films i don't know if it's gosling or evans who's going to be our bond-esque character or if they're partners i can't imagine it being gosling i well i mean you know what anyone who's doubting um i i love winter soldier i think winter soldier is excellent and it is a spy movie so i'm already on board because of that but did you hear about the budget for this movie i did john Tell everyone out there how much Netflix, who are about $16 trillion in debt, are going to spend on this. $200 million movie. This is the highest budgeted film Netflix has done to date. And that's what I thought would be a little bit of fun to do right now, is this article that I found discusses the top six budgeted films for Netflix. Now, I just told you the number one is The Gray Man because it is the highest film to date that they've put with a $200 million. Do you have any idea what yeah. their number two is? And I will give it's you... It's got to be bright. I, I'm going to give you a clue. This movie's not out yet. Okay, so it's not bright. Um, it's not out yet. Uh, why, why do I feel like I should know this? Is it score, something to do with Scorsese again? Uh, no, I would be really shocked, actually, if this movie had... <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I will tell I you can't the think. I didn't know oh, about God. this movie, but it's a big cast. Uh, Dwayne The oh, Rock Johnson. Oh, God. Yeah, okay, go on. Ryan Reynolds and Gail Gadot. Um, and it's called Red Notice. Red Notice. And its budget is – it's still in production according to this article, um, but its budget is somewhere between 160 and $200 million. So this is happening oh. alongside or right before The Gray Man is being produced. That's a just the cast alone. I would imagine is sixty million of that budget. Um, oh my Those man. three actors. Uh, um, oh yeah! I, wow, it's in the article. Godot and Reynolds are both getting twenty million, and Johnson expect, expected to make more because he is one of the highest paid actors in the industry mm-hmm. right now. Um, because why? Because his movies make box office. Curveball. Netflix doesn't have a box office, so it is a weird <laughs> choice 
uh, to up their their budget to such a high degree because they're they're currently their streaming fee has not gone up. That is something we should be worried about. If they're yeah. going to keep dropping big dollars, we're going to see some kind of influx. Maybe they'll add like a pay per model, like you can't see it for the first month unless you pay like an additional rental fee or something like that. I think we're going to see a shift in their their format. But number three, any guess? Uh, I will say you said you've glanced at uh, it. This movie has come out already. It's got to be bright. It's not bright. Bright's on the list. The lower down. It is the Irishman. Number three, the Irishman. Irishman. One hundred and fifty-nine million dollar film um, for the Irishman. Since you said bright, uh, bright is number six on this top six list at just wow. ninety million, uh, which is a lot, but ninety million. So there's two movies between Irishman at number three and Bright. Uh, do you know what number four is? It's an action movie, and it's not one we've done on the podcast. Uh, so we've had um, Red Notice, we've had um, Bright, we've had... Oh, um, what about that one uh, that came out, the Michael Bay one, which that's was it. bloody awful. I have not seen um, it. Ryan Reynolds is in this one too. That's it. Uh, uh, underground, underground World underground. or something like that. That's six it, Six Underground. $150 million budget, and there's one more, number five. Uh, it has... Um, it has a... It has a pretty big cast, uh, and there's another. It's I I would assume this is an action film, but it's a military action film again, not one we've done on the podcast. So it's not Extraction, it's not The Old Guard. It's not The Old Guard. Um, action Netflix. Uh, there was the one All with these movies are new except for Bright. Bright's the oldest one on the list. Uh, there's one with Pedro Pascal in it, and I think Oscar Isaac. Yes, um, that's it. That's it. And I don't know what it's called though. Triple Frontier. Triple Which Frontier. I also have not watched yet. Um, I've heard mixed things about that one. I I thought I watched it and it was it was okay. It did like like a lot of Netflix action films. It was fine. You know, I mean, it was just great. I've never had the urge to watch it or really even think about it since watching it. But when I was watching it, I was like, you know, this is pretty good. Yeah, I've heard basically that, and I never watched Bright either. Um, in fact, on oh. this list, the only movie I've seen is The Irishman. Um, but I really like The Irishman. Uh, so you know. But I am a big Scorsese fan in general, so I will be watching both. I think the um, I would actually wouldn't be surprised if we re- review Red Notice and The Gray Man for this podcast, depending on uh, the theatrical thing going on for that budget and those actors and uh, and the Russos who you know the last uh, effort was very good, but in terms of production, but they some of them they're a bit hidden. They still to me honestly, this is gonna sound ridiculous. I've still got to prove to myself that they've got it. The uh, outside War, of the Marvel, yeah, outside of Marvel, yeah, because they've smashed it, they've crushed it, biggest film of all time, um, with Endgame. But outside of Marvel, they need to prove now, and I get they, they don't need to. Well, let's let me rephrase that they don't need to prove anything to anyone anymore, and uh, certainly not me. But I still think they've got a lot to prove in terms of their directorial chops outside of the MCU. And look, $200 million, Chris Evans, Ryan Gosling, two stars who are two male stars who are going to get bums in seats and make money if it was if it was theatrically released i just wonder about the business model of where they're gonna where they think this money's gonna come from do they think they're gonna get 200 million dollars worth of subscribers in extra because they're not i just don't understand how they're making money enough money to put into the i put into these projects i'm glad they are because it you know competition breeds competition if Studio C, well, hold on, Netflix are pumping out two hundred million dollar films with these stuff with our stars in it. These are our Hollywood stars, not not the streaming world. Then, it, you know, and, and if they happen to be good, 
then that's a good thing for film fans because it means we have it, it's there readily accessible for everybody to watch uh, on the same day. But I just wonder about the where they're going to think they're going to make this money back, man. Yeah, I, I don't know, but like, like you said, and they're they're giving money to filmmakers who like Scorsese is is iconic, and the fact that the, the studios wouldn't give him the the budget to do the Irishman is so baffling to me. Yeah. But um, you know, Michael Bay got to do his his action movie, which I'm not necessarily an advocate for, but at the same time, you know, someone people like those, so let mm-hmm. it, let him make it. And I would love to see, uh, you know, Noah Baumbach's found a really strong home on Netflix. So, like his last two films have been Netflix originals, and they've yep. both have been really great. So I, I, I like that Netflix is giving filmmakers an opportunity to make films. They take more chances than yeah. what you see studios making. Um, and so let's let's keep that going. Um, I am I'm on board for that. Uh, Red Notice is I'm looking to see who's directing. I don't know who that is. Rawson Marshall Thurber. Oh, he did Dodgeball and Where the Millers and Central Intelligence and that amazing skyscraper movie that we all remember and did not wish we had not seen. Oh, I was going to say, that's an interesting choice, but then you mentioned Skyscraper and immediately my hopes just plummeted through the floor. Yeah. Oh, he also wrote the script. So that's, and he wrote the script for all the other movies I just listed except for the We Are the Millers. Um, so, you know, I didn't dislike Central Intelligence and, uh, yeah, I'm apprehensive, but um, man, Gail Gadot's filmography is crazy. Sorry, I'm just like looking at her list, just like wow. Yeah, it's an interesting list as well for the top six. though. it's funny how they all, but they're basically off the top of my head, apart from the Irishman, it's all just action. And I know the Russo brothers' film is going to be like a spy film, but it will be a spy action film, I imagine. Um, it's funny how Netflix spends big money on big explosions and big action set pieces. Uh, but of course you're not going to spend $200 million on a small independent drama, but um, it's interesting. I found was it, it's, it's the, from the films on the list. Yeah. The Irishman was good and the rest were forgettable. And bright was awful. Um, really, again, if anyone out there likes it, then well, feel more, more power to you. Everything's subjective, but I thought bright was awful. Yeah, I, I haven't got there. Uh, I, I don't think I will ever get there. I, I, I'm also afraid that I will like it and then have to be that weird dissenting voice. <laughs> like, no, no, we need to revisit Bright, guys. It's great. You know, David Ayer. Yeah, we need that. We need that franchise. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, let's go to your second article. I think these next two will be a little quicker because they're just yeah. kind of in the same vein, even just five years yeah. apart. Oddly enough, yeah, because no, this is very, very quick, very small, uh, a bit like me, very small. Uh, and it was uh, arachnophobia uh, is 30 years old. Arachnophobia is 30 years old now. It, the, and as the title says, this killer bug movie still has bite. Uh, arachnophobia, I'm deathly scared of spiders. I hate spiders. Obviously, ones that are smaller than like a one P piece or a cent. Uh, yeah, I'm fine with them. I'll, I will dispose of them in any means necessary. But anything bigger than that, I'm thinking get out of my house or I'll just burn the house down. So watching arachnophobia was, um, was an experience for the first time, but I really like arachnophobia. It's obviously it's a horror comedy. It's, um, Frank Marshall directed, uh, Jeff Daniels and the wonderful John Goodman is that wild exterminator. I really like arachnophobia. It does. It does get to me. It does scare the hell out of me. And a lot of that is because I use real spiders in it as well as some very decent looking, um, spider effects as well. Um, and yeah, you know, there's been spider flicks before. You had just like the old, 
fifties uh, movies, the B movies with the spiders at like oh, yeah. spiders at fifty feet tall, and then things like Kingdom of Kingdom of the Spiders with William Shatner <laughs> in seventy seven, and I think Arachnophobia is the best spider related film out there. And yeah, thirty years old. I just wanted to uh, doff my cap to Arachnophobia. But what did you think of Arachnophobia, Duke? I don't think I've ever watched it. Um, I'm very familiar Ooh. with it. It was a movie that I think as a kid I was just like, nope, I don't need that. Um, <laughs> And I've just never gone to it. Um, I feel like I would probably like it a lot. John Goodman's in it, right? And uh, yeah. is, is Bill Pullman in it? Uh, Jeff Daniels is in it. Bill ah, Pullman. Jeff Daniels. Okay. No, he's I don't it. remember Bill Pullman being in it. Well, I haven't seen it. So, I mean, I'm not. I'm quoting off of, like, trying to remember uh, the trailer. Like, I've seen clips of it throughout my life or whatever, but I've just never never been drawn to it. And I, I wouldn't say I, I have arachnophobia. I definitely don't like, I don't like spiders, but I'm not, mm. I wouldn't say I'm like afraid of them. I am the one who will be, I will charge in and kill it kind of thing. Um, to save the other people who are afraid of them. I don't want it on me. Like, so, uh, you know, I'm not like, like, I'm not going to pick it up and be like, Oh, it's fine guys. My, my kid who is uh, 16 years old, um, she will go out of her way to save them now. Um, like she'll like there have been days where I, like, I hear her running through the house and like because she, she's not thrilled that she's trying to save it right like she doesn't want to touch it but she doesn't want to kill it so she'll like rush it out of the house um but i i will i will kill it first um, <laughs> good, I'll good even, so will I. yeah i'll offer an apology like sorry spider but you gotta go because you've invaded my my territory and i'm not sorry spider lovers as well I, I i always think i can do what's right but as soon as it starts walking anywhere near me uh, it's just like a reflex reaction and i can't help it mm-hmm. i i'm the same way um and I did a similar thing though. Uh, another film anniversary is Clueless, um, which I think was like a week ago. Uh, was the official twenty fifth anniversary. Um, I love that movie. It's a movie that I, um, I think when it came out, I didn't want to admit that I liked it because I, as a high school kid, I thought it was like a chick flick kind of thing. Got to match up. Um, but my cousin, who I lived with at the time, was a big fan, and I had my own TV with a VCR and stuff because I'm a movie freak, and so. Um, <laughs> When she couldn't have the the family TV, um, she, she would beg me, "Can we watch it?" I'm like, "Fine," you know, like acting like it was a, I was doing her a favor. But ultimately, I really liked the movie, and I just didn't want to admit it. Um, and but of course, now I'm I'm much more comfortable admitting that I like movies like this, and that anyone can like any movie. It doesn't matter what your gender is. Um, and Clueless is brilliant, and it still holds up. I actually I think we watched it earlier this year, or like at the end of last year. My daughter and I sat and watched it because she had not seen it, and. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd seen Mean Girls several times, which I also love. Yeah. Um, but uh, she was really, really into it. And uh, one of my my daughter takes my class, and one of their uh, uh, online projects was to take um, a monologue from a film and film themselves giving the monologue. And she did Claire's speech about the Haitians uh, <laughs> that she does in class. And so uh, I thought it was cool. My daughter picked a, a scene from Clueless. But the article that I will uh, have in the show notes is talking uh, with Alicia Silverstone about um, Brittany Murphy kind of explicitly. Cool. And it feels a little super superficial. Like, I don't know, like the, the headline makes it sound like she's got all these really great insights about Brittany Murphy. And it's just... She almost sounds like Cher talking about Brittany Murphy more so than Alicia Silverstone. Just like, yeah, she's such a good person. It's like, okay, like (laughs) there's no like amazing insights in any of this, but all right. Um, But I I, I love Brittany Murphy as Ty in that film. And of course, my favorite part of Clueless is Paul Rudd. I am a 
massive Paul Rudd fan. I love Paul Paul Rudd so, so much. Yeah, and he's so good in that movie. Uh, There's so many little things that he does in that film that I just adore. Um, I'm a big Paul Rudd fan. Again, uh, even... um, I think at this point I'm pretty pretty cemented. Like I always say, Iron Man is my favorite MCU film, just because like it it was so surprising to me when it came out. I just loved it. I wasn't a big Iron Man fan before the movie. Um, it really made me appreciate Robert Downey Jr. at a level I had not before. And then I think I I'm a big Spider Man fan in general. So like I think I have Homecoming as number two, but Ant Man might be like my real number one. I I, I adore Ant Man. I don't think Ant Man is appreciated enough, especially because that character is boring in the comics like mm-hmm. as as a superhero like who cares about ant-man but paul rudd and the way uh that movie's assembled um if it were edgar wright's uh film i probably would love it even more because edgar wright's style just meshes with my personality so so well but uh peyton reed did a tremendous job with both ant-man and ant-man and the wasp i think both are underappreciated and they're a lot lighter of the mcu films and mm-hmm. i think I, it's one of the things i appreciate they're they're genuine comedies and heist movies um and i love both of those things so just throwing Paul right out there. But that's my article is the 25th anniversary of Clueless. Um, are you a fan, Matt? I am a fan, yeah. And I'm very much the same as yourself. I was like, uh, when, and 1995, you're kind of like, oh, I can't admit, I can't admit to liking this, even though it's, even though you, it's hard not to have a crush on Alicia Silverstone when you, it was sure. in 1995. Absolutely. Especially after uh, living on the edge from Aerosmith, right? Like, Dude, man, exactly. And obviously you get the iconic outfits in Clueless and you mentioned like that, that quote and then things like, do you prefer Fashion Victim or Ensemble Challenge, which is inc- incredibly funny. You're a virgin who can't drive. And uh, it's it's just a great, it's just a great, like satiric, superly satirical, fun film, uh, which, you know, it's it's one of those films, like you say, you watch it and you think, I'm probably not going to like this. It just looks a bit naff, looks a bit um, throwaway. But it has endured, and um, I haven't read the article from uh, of Alicia Silverstone. But the film has endured. People know the characters. It's probably Alicia Silverstone's most iconic role, I think. Oh and, yeah, by far. And yeah, like you say, the outfits. People know that. People still cosplay the outfits, and they, they know the quotes. And yes, Brittany Murphy, um, rest in peace, is very good as Tice. Paul Rudd, who's like in his mid twenties then, and looks exactly the same now as Stacey Dash, Donald Faison, uh, obviously as well. It's just a and really good, but exactly. It's a good, very decent cast. It's a very, it's a fun film, but you know, it's, it's not the best film in the world, is it? It doesn't need to be. It's a great film about. It taught me an awful lot about fashion and how far behind the times I was, even though the person telling me that was um, somebody fairly superficial within the film. But man, I had a good time with Clueless, and I haven't seen it in in a while. But I think I'll be revisiting it to celebrate its, its anniversary yeah and i think it's worth revisiting i also think it's um i think it's a better movie than maybe you're even selling it right there i think it's uh i do i think it presents itself in a way that is so 90s like it is a hardcore 90s film like it is oh, yeah. and it's it's upper class rich white kid 90s film like it is a very specific yeah. demo but um it is it's it's really good and again honestly well i just call it a rich white it, it has a diverse cast which is yes. not always the case for that type of movie so um still rich though it's definitely socioeconomic uh, in the upper class but um and you know you could argue that d doesn't get a lot to do uh realistically by comparison to both ty and share but um it is it's a really really well-made movie it's fun um it's very funny yeah and uh i learned the word sporadic because of that <laughs> movie so um it's been in my vocabulary for quite some time so who'd have thought it? that's 
Yeah, right. Who would have thought I learned such a word from Clueless? But um, that's the headlines for this week. We're going to move on to uh, media consumption, what we've been consuming in ways of movies, TV, video games, podcasts, other pop culture um, to pass the time, especially since we're not 100% on lockdown, but we're, we're still social distancing. Mm-hmm. So um, this is how we're doing that. Matt, what have you been up to? Uh, my my fare has been fairly sporadic over the last week. Um, in terms of video games, I've only revisited Battlefront 2, Star Wars Battlefront 2, uh, just gone online and just unleashing waves of fury on people. It's my way of letting out steam is just um, sniping fools or throwing thermal detonators at people and just blowing them up. Always enjoy a good Battlefront 2 session and... Um, the way that game grew from being much maligned and the whole loot box stuff to being this fab, fantastic online multiplayer game that it is now with a great community. Um, it's a shame that they're not continuing support for it. But yeah, Battlefront 2. Oh. And in terms of um, cinema films, films, theatrical released, I haven't been to see any at the theatre because I still don't fancy checking any out. Though I, I, do ha- I do plan to go and watch The Empire Strikes Back on the big screen in the next few weeks. But in terms of what I've been watching... Uh, I had to watch, I say had to, for Death by Pod, I watched The Entity from 1982 with Barbara Hershey. God help me, that film's bloody awful. If you've, <laughs> yeah, if it's, we did a review on it. Um, if you like your horror podcast served up with some choice words, then check out Death by Pod. Uh, the Rental uh, received a screener from uh, the guys over at IFC for The Rental, Dave Franco's debut. Uh, the embargo's lifted now on that. And I know John saw it as well. And I think we had pretty yeah. similar views on it, but I thought the rental was, I think, I think I was ever so slightly more up on it than you were, but I thought it was yeah. fine. I thought it was solid enough for the first two thirds, but it just crumbled away in the, in the third act completely. It took a long time to get going. Uh, only one of the characters was worth caring about really. Um, I think, it, I think a lot of what I enjoyed about it was the location. I thought the location was superb and how they utilized it to a point, but the rental was fine, but it's as I said in my review, you're not, it's not going to remain. You're not going to think about it probably ever again. You're not going to remember it. And uh, finally, also from IFC, a film called Made in Italy, which is un- under embargo until the first week of August. And it's a directorial debut of James Darcy, who's obviously best known for playing Father Francis in Exorcist at the beginning. It stars Liam Neeson, and the synopsis is a London estranged son tried to mend their relationship as they work together to repair a dilapidated house in Italy. It's a comedy, which I didn't realise upon reading that synopsis. But uh, the review of that will be going out in about two weeks' time. Um, But yeah, Made in Italy, another Liam Neeson vehicle set in beautiful part of Italy. So that's really what I've been consuming. But what about yourself, big man? Because you've had a busy one. Yeah, um, I finally beat Final, Final yeah. Fantasy VII, which I've mentioned, I think, for like two or three weeks now. Um, I finally beat that, and that was like, I was excited because I, I got The Last of Us 2, and I wasn't going to start it until I beat Final Fantasy VII, so I have now started Last nice. of Us 2. Um, I, I played it for like three hours on Sunday, and then I haven't been able to get back to it till today, and then I played it for like maybe three hours today, and um, I man, that game it's one it's so gorgeous like the naughty dog has outdone themselves each time with the first game and this one it's just they are such good looking games um i know this one got a lot of heat i have not i've managed to avoid hearing why um i i could see a couple of things Uh, so far i have no issues with the game i think it's great i'm very invested in the characters as i was with the first game um the gameplay i actually think has gotten Mm -hmm. even better um and I know that you and Big Tuna are, are not 
active gamers and struggled with the the first one a little bit right like with the... yeah i struggled to start with just to get in the controls and that but once i got uh about halfway through it or maybe a bit before about 30 percent of the way through it, it yeah, I, I I got a handle on it, and Tuna, yeah, he had an interesting way of getting through the game via walkthroughs, which I tried not to use. Mm. Yeah, I try mainly because of spoilers for me, but um, because this game is so story story driven. But uh, I will say, um, a lot of games that like encourage stealth, I am not great <laughs> at, um, because I am like even like with multiplayer like first person shooters, I tend to be like a running gunner. Like I'm not going to sit and wait; I'm going to go active, um, and with The Last of Us, I, I was very, like, I crouched a lot. Probably crouched too much in that game. Like, I was probably crouched, like, 90% of the time. And so far with this one, I'm I'm stealth. Like, I've, I've you know, uh, I, I decided not to go with the medium difficulty. I went one lower, and it's supposed to, like, you have more items and stuff. But I am barely using my guns. I am, you know, stealth killing as much as possible. And uh, I'm still being a little aggressive with it. And it's only backfired once so far. Um, which was literally like right before I got done playing to, to record, I was like, ah, crap. Um, but still survive. Um, but I, I really, I think they've upped the gameplay uh, factor a little bit. It feels a little more mm-hmm. fluid. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm loving the game. Um, I've also been playing magic, the gathering, um, arena, which is the online, uh, the current, the most up to date online version of magic. I can't play paper magic uh, right now, so I, I've really come to arena this month. I've really been into it. They finally released a native version nice. for the Mac, um, and that was one of the things that had been holding me back from actively playing. Um, I'm having a lot of fun doing that. Uh, it's kind of how my morning rituals uh, shifted for a while. I was doing um, uh, Animal Crossing in the morning while I drank my energy drink before I would do my workout, and. Now I am drinking my coffee and or energy drink while playing arena uh, because I finally got burned out on Animal Crossing. I feel like I've done everything I wanted to do and I'm done. So to turnips. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like, uh, whatever, I'm tired of this game. Um, but and then I played a, a couple hours of Call of Duty with some of my uh, former students. Uh, they're now they're like six years out uh, since they graduated. But um, I, it's fun playing with them because I end up being myself with them. And one of them knows me very well. But the other, like, they know me, but they don't know me, know me. So, like, hearing me, like, say a a wordy dirt or two, um, like, well, it always shocks them. And my humor uh, comes out. And then your mouth with soap. um, But had a a good time having, like, uh, fun game modes, uh, just like Private Lobby, the six of us playing games on Saturday night. It was a good time. Um, And then I've watched quite a few movies. Um, I've I've checked off two more Spike Lee films. Um, If you've been listening, I've been actively working through his filmography. He is now, I think, my number five director um, or four. I've uh, I've seen more of his films than most other filmmakers. Um, And I I watched his version of Old Boy, which is not as good as the original um, by any means. He does make a couple of choices that I like a little more story-wise, but then he makes a lot of choices that I think are way worse. I, I especially I feel like he struggles with tone in that film for some reason, and I don't know. I, I partly blame Charlotte Copley. Um, he's so over the top in that movie. Um, but I watched Summer of Sam last night. Um, I, I just listened to uh, there's a podcast that um, I've become a fan of uh, that David Chen started yet another podcast. Um, I'm a big fan of the Slash Filmcast, and uh, he is now doing a film with uh, a podcast with Joanna Robinson. Um, who writes for Vanity Fair called, where did it go? What is it called? Um, sorry. I didn't realize it wasn't. Oh, truth mm-hmm. versus Hollywood, um, which 
they're doing um they've only done uh three they've done six episodes but three movies because they they split them into two parts uh, because they do a full breakdown of the film but they also are cutting in with interviews of, with the actual people so they've done goodfellas the social network and then zodiac and um listening to the zodiac episode made me want another kind of like true crime murder story and summer of sam had always been on my radar and since it was Spike Lee, i was like i really want to watch that right now so i did last night and uh i liked it um it's i i know nothing about it still i haven't had a chance really to dive mm-hmm. into the true story about it but um it's definitely it's not as heavily focused on telling the true story it's definitely more about these ancillary it's more like once upon a time in hollywood um style wise it's a good like, show um right like which i had not seen summer of sam when i saw once upon a time in hollywood or i would be like oh this is very similar to spike's take on that where it's like this happens this is a fictional story that's happening around this real event and how these characters are being affected at least i think all of the characters in spike's story are not actual they have nothing to do with the case so i assume that they have you know they weren't real people because it'd be weird to like randomly find hey what were you going through? But it's more like the effects that the killings had on the community um, and Spike's kind of take on it. Um, he deals, he seems to be dealing a lot with like morality um, and, and religion in the film, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've not dove into that at all more. I also watched blind spotting again because of the podcast that we just did. Um, yes. Love, 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 love that movie so much. Um, I watched special actors on a Japanese online film festival, uh, which is the directorial follow-up for the director who did one cut of the dead. Um, really cool movie. Definitely recommend checking it out and yummy, which is a shutter original. Uh, I believe it is a French film. Um, dude, you, you should check it out. It is a like zombie comedy. Um, it's, it's pretty good. It's not amazing, but it's pretty good. Uh, Corey and I did that for a movie club. We both uh, liked it overall. Sweet, I've never heard of it, and I do like I, I do like a French film. Um, I really do quite enjoy the French wave of horror films, even if it's horror comedy. So you got to know I'm going to watch that, man. Yeah, now Shutter is pretty cheap as a streaming service, but I, I they were it. doing like a free month. Oh, it seems like it you should have it. I do. Well, my buddy mentioned that they did that, the Cursed Films documentaries on yes. The Exorcist, The Omen, and all that kind of stuff, and it, it, that's very much a bit of me. Um, so I signed up for the uh, free trial. I think it's seven days over here. And as I do with everything, seven days passed and I completely forgot. So now I own Shudder because I just forgot to cancel my subscription. So, but I have actually used it to watch a few films on. Yeah, well, um, if you haven't seen The Black Noir, I recommend mm-hmm. that's a really great documentary about the uh, black actors in horror films. Um, it's amazing. And then uh, and it's produced, I think, by Jordan Peele on top of that. Um, but, uh, and then yummy, definitely worth your time, um, checking out, uh, uh, big tuna recommended that one to Corey. And so that's, she picked it for our small screen movie club episode. Sweet. No, I'll, I'll check it out. I'm just looking at it now on Google. It's got pretty decent, pretty decent ratings. Um, mm-hmm. and like I said, it was, it suddenly last year. Well, in Belgium, in, in Europe, it's 2019. So yeah, man, I'll check it out. It sounds like a lot of fun. That's a bit of me. And then, uh, to before we leave the podcast um matt and i like to like it's hard it's hard work to stay this bloody awesome so we like to discuss what we're doing to to do so um so matt how are you staying bloody awesome Uh, well i i second that it is extremely hard it's very hard to do it but um it by simply mate very simple this week and it's just embracing the great outdoors i mean getting out a bit more i've spent a lot of time just sitting in Watching films, which is what we do, 
um, vegging out because of the lockdown and the COVID state um, and to sort of mulling around. So I've decided, no, stay bloody awesome, get out a bit more, walk a bit more, enjoy the wood, enjoy the nature, enjoy the feel of the vitamin D on your skin and a bit of fresh air as well. So for me, very simple, very quick, very easy. Embracing those great outdoors because you've got some fantastic walks over here where I live. So pretty much getting out, staying awesome by giving, giving yourself that time to recharge the batteries. That's I, you know, I don't like being outside, but since mm. uh, the lockdown, um, I have been, and for the first time, I, it's got to be like the first time in a good ten years. I have tan lines, nice. um, because I, I'm I'm running at least three days a week, uh, and I usually have been walking on the days that I don't run at least a mile or two. Um, and we're in Florida, so the sun is is scorching at all times. Basically, and once it's out, it's like you're gonna get burnt. <laughs> um, I'm no longer getting burnt because I'm just tan, and it's really weird. I'm not used to it. Uh, I tan easily once I start tanning, but usually there's like an initial, you know, lobster phase for me because I'm I'm so pasty. But at this so point, I'm, I'm I'm just tan, and it's uh, it's shocking because I'm clearly embracing the outdoors. Which um, you, you reminded me, I I had. I have now two things that I want to say because I should have put one first. Uh, there's a website called nerdfitness.com. I saw this on your uh, IG. Yeah. So I, I, I don't remember exactly when, when the COVID crisis happened, I started looking for like on like at home workouts because I lost the, for a good two months, I lost the ability to go to the gym mm-hmm. and now I can go, but I'm too paranoid to go consistently to the gym. I have been working out consistently uh, at home since COVID and um, the big th- change I just mentioned was I started running um, because I needed some way of doing cardio. And uh, I, I I don't know, it's probably been about two months. I, I'm running a 5K three times a week. Um, I run three miles um, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday every every week for the last couple months. And I, I didn't, like at the beginning of this year, I'd lost a lot of weight and my wife said, we should do a 5K this year. And I'm like, that sounds like a crazy goal that I'm sure I will never achieve, but let's, <laughs> let's put it on the list. And at the time when I agreed to that, it was probably February. We had one in, in sight, like an actual, because COVID was not a thing yet. Um, the Turkey trot we have, every, it's local. It's uh, in November uh, 5k every year they have it. Right. And I think money goes to charity or whatever. Yeah. And so that was our goal. And I was at the time I was thinking like, I'll never do that. Cause I'm, I've never been a runner. Now I'm running three, five Ks a week, basically. And I can't go and do one because no one's doing them because it's it's a hazard, right? So um, nerdfitness.com did a virtual one, which there's tons of virtual ones happening. But most of them, there's an entry fee and uh, you, got, you know, like it just feels like I'm buying a shirt because I'm already running a 5K, right? Mm-hmm. Like so like paying 25 bucks to enter your online one when I'm already doing it feels like I'm just buying a shirt. So they were doing a free one. And I was like, you know what? I already, I'm already subscribed to their newsletter. I, I like what the guy puts out. I'm going to participate because I was already going to run. It was on Saturday. And I was already running the 5K anyway. So I completed my first official 5K uh, that I've registered for. And I, I ran my, my 3.1 miles. Good man. Um, and I, I got a little uh, be, uh, picture to put on Instagram, which I did, if you follow us on Instagram. But um, I did end up, ironically, I just made all those comments about it. This was free, but they had merch for sale. So I bought a shirt. <laughs> so, Capitalism is fine. Because right, I was like, I, I got to have a shirt to show that I did it. <laughs> like, so Yeah, it backfired. I was like, hey, it's free. And then I spent 25 bucks on it. It is a dry fit shirt, though, that I can run in. So it made sense to to get it. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting that um, in the mail. But 
I shout out to them for, for doing that. Um, they, they're planning on, I think they're going to be doing some kind of like mountain climbing thing. Not going to do that. So the other thing that I've been doing is, um, I'm prepping my lesson plans, uh, for next year. Um, and, uh, for my film three classes or my seniors next year, I I'm going to focus on the social problem film genre, um, as a way of, uh, inter- introducing more minority and women filmmakers. Um, cause Oh, there's a lot of amazing films, Spike Lee being a filmmaker who's uh, tackled the social problem genre quite well. Um, but Ryan Coogler with uh, Fruitvale Station, Blindspotting being a great example, um, The Hate You Give. Like, There's just so many uh, uh, great movies that feature relevant problems of today. And then, of course, we can go old school. You do like Norma Ray with um, Sally Field's uh, Oscar-winning performance. And um, you can go Steven Soderbergh's Aaron Brockovich um, if you wanted to go for the more popcorny version of a social problem film. But uh, I've been reading um, and studying and kind of breaking down and uh, planning. Uh, so really, really diving into that genre uh, all the more recently. So, it's, Well, firstly, anyone who can get up and push themselves to get outdoors and run anything, 5K, well, it, it's a fantastic achievement. So good man on that and yes well done for submitting to the desire to buy the merch as well um they guess that's how they get you but um i'm always interested i say every every week i'm always interested in the lesson planning you do and in terms of social problem let me say it's fairly now isn't it and i'm interested to see how how i say this to you off as well but i'm always interested to see how the students react because we are in our mid-30s now and we are we have our we have thoughts, opinions, life experience, this, that, and the other now. Your students are a lot younger, and they have different uh, outlooks on life, and they are now brought up in a different world. So I'd love to hear what your students think about that. So um, please yeah. do keep me updated on all of that. And I gen- genuinely mean that as well as a film fan, but also as a fan of the, the world and humanity. For sure. Um, and I will definitely do that. And I'm looking forward to uh, – I was hoping – you know, I hope at some point this year I actually get to see my seniors in person, yeah. but um, it does look like it's going to be a lot of online. But luckily I found this great service uh, where my students will be able to watch the same movies without having to like jump through hoops in order to do it as long as they have internet access, which will be the still struggle because not everybody has readily available internet access, mm-hmm. but um, which is one of the reasons why all teachers don't want online teaching as a requirement. None of us signed up to do that. But we also don't want to be the reason COVID spreading or that children are dying or that we are dying. Yeah. So, you know, um, we, we just want it to be safe. But I guarantee you any teacher worth their salt wants to be back in the classroom with our kids. That's why we do the job. It is definitely not for the paycheck. Um, no, as long as you're not there the as to to safeguard children rather than the parents doing it, because that is the height of um, oh, I'm not even going to say the word because they get us banned. But yeah, if only and I, same as over here, I, I refuse to send my daughter back to nursery school because Boris Johnson opened the schools for her for nursery school, but not for any other kids or for Parliament. I was like, well, I'm not having my kid be a guinea pig. Yeah. And exactly for you guys as well over there, don't send the kids back if it's not safe to do it. Don't put the onus and pressure and stresses on the teachers to keep themselves and other people's kids safe because, well, you know, it would be great for education to continue. No, no, it'd be great for people's lives to not be affected. So. I'm fully right. with you there. There's my, I'm coming off my high horse now. And that leads into <laughs> the end of the episode. I think it's been a pretty solid uh, entry. Yeah. Um, we watched the documentary, so we feel smart and intelligent now, uh, cultured even. Yeah, I've learned something. Um, but 
we have to we have to dumb it down for next week because you know you can't have back-to-back highbrow episodes so uh netflix is where we're staying because again theaters are not an option for us um but we have a big a big probably the biggest netflix release of the summer if you believe netflix's metrics which they don't tell us how they do that but uh the kissing booth was it like two years ago last year did really really well um, 2018. It did really, really well that it warranted a sequel, apparently. Um, I hated The Kissing Booth. Um, <laughs> I, I believe Joey King is a very talented actress. I also believe that she has made dumb decisions as an adult with what role she takes time and time and time again. Um, there are plenty of examples uh, to back that, that theory up, but if you watch a lot of her early stuff, she's terrific, and she's still not bad in the movie. But man, the kissing booth was garbage. And here is a sequel. So we will be on next week to discuss the kissing booth too. Matt, did you like the first one? I hated the first one. <laughs> um, yes, I've I've said it so many times on the BAMP and astrology and all the shows we've done before that I generally are, am rooting for Joey King. You know, I want Joey King. I want them to keep trying to make her a thing. Because again, I think she's a very talented actress, but the film set, whoever her agent is in, is good. They must be living La Vida Loca. They must be living the high life, getting paid those agent fees for putting their client in utter crap. So the kissing booth too. I mean, I mean, I don't often wish for a week to go slowly, but I'm putting <laughs> off watching it as far back as I can. But who knows? Yeah. This could be. This could be. This could be the Joey King film, which finally. Um, sends her into the stratosphere. This could be Netflix's biggest hit, or it could be just what we expect it to be. But I think it's going to be a fun episode. Yeah, um, I, I do too. I think we'll have a lot to say about it. Um, looking at her films uh, from released, like most recent released, the last one I really liked was Going in Style, which is the mm-hmm. Zach Braff film uh, from 2017, uh, which I it's not great, but I liked it. I didn't dislike that movie. And then, um, man, it goes uh, again. She's excellent in The Conjuring. I love her in the um, uh, Ramona and Beza. She's really, really good. And yeah, and but... she's in Slender Man. Then she's in the uh, yeah. not uh, what was it called? The one where the Wish Wish Upon, I think it was called, which is bloody awful. That one, yeah, I heard that was bad. Um, uh, and then Summer of '03 had some good stuff, but then it also fell, it fell apart pretty hard. I didn't yeah. see the act, but I heard the act was good. Yeah, I heard that as well. But I just, it, I don't know. It looked, it looked a little messed up, so I wasn't down to watch it. But um, so hopefully, Kissing Booth two, maybe they improve. I, I can't imagine how. Um, it looks like they've even managed to bring the actual Kissing Booth back into the movie uh, because it felt so mm. organic in the first one. Um, so, oh god, uh, what we do for the podcast is watch movies and thus we have to pick the most relevant and I guarantee you people will be talking about the kissing booth too. And thus we must be as well. Thanks, that Jim. said, uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on social media. Uh, bloody awesome movie podcast is on Instagram at bloody awesome movie pod. And we're also on Twitter, Matt, what's the, uh, the handle the handle is at BAMP underscore podcast, B A M P underscore podcast. And you can find us on Facebook if you just search Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Uh, you can follow me personally at Burke Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And Matt? Uh, same places. Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Just go to what I watched tonight and you'll find my face looking back at you. And if you like what we're doing here, it would be our 
uttermost favorite thing in the world. If you could take a few minutes and review it or and rate it on whatever service you're using, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, um, it just helps other listeners find the show. So if you take just a moment to do that, we would be ever so grateful. And with that, we encourage you to keep watching movies. And mucho, mucho and more. And stay <laughs> bloody awesome.